Hello, welcome to the Radiate Podcast. We're here to connect, encourage, and empower you to radiate the message of Jesus to yourself, your neighbors, and the world. I'm your host, Steve Presswood. I'm on the phone with today's guest, Sam Akers. Sam is in campus ministry at Oklahoma University. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, thanks, Steve. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here hanging out with you, man. I want you to tell our podcast audience a little about yourself. Some of them don't know you. Yeah, of course. Some basic bio facts. Uh, I was born in 93 in Kansas City, Missouri, and, uh, and that's where I grew up for a long time. Number three is six kids. Um, but I uh, kind of got to, got to have a little bit more of an interesting childhood in that when I was 11, I, I moved overseas and was uh, living in the Philippines as a missionary kid for a while. And man, that was a fun and terrifying experience. Um, but the long and short of how I got involved in, in what I'm doing now, campus ministry at OU, was I came back to the States for college and went to a, a small state school in Missouri called Northwest Missouri State and had a blast there. I, I studied music and, and really tried to figure out, honestly tried to figure out who I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? And tried to figure out, uh, man, a lot of that just messy stuff. But you know how that goes. That, that, I feel like that's almost a never-ending journey, trying to figure out who we are, right? Um, but it was there that I met my wife, and uh, it was there that uh, that I met the navigators, and and man, that's what essentially got me from here to there. So that that gives you a huge overview, but yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, all right, so some fun questions. What's been the biggest surprise about having a newborn in your house? What a what a great question. You know, our son Harrison, he's probably he was three weeks old yesterday. I would say probably the one of the most fun parts has been snuggles uh, and just getting to like hang out with a baby, um, which I, for me feels odd because I love when I like when I hang out with people. I want to talk. I want to laugh. I want to do something. You're not doing any of that with a baby. You know what I mean? No. You're definitely if if you're talking, it's one sided. Right. If you're laughing, it's because of something weird the baby's doing and you're not yeah. doing anything. That baby is literally just laying there. But I've really enjoyed hanging out with him. Um, however, I will put in one caveat. I have not as much enjoyed hanging out at 3 a.m. Uh, that, that has not been a, a fun part about hanging out with him. Yeah, it can be a little bit of a surprise how um, crazy their schedule is. They're just happy to wake up at three and say, "Hey, I'm, I got some needs right now. I'd like for you to take care of them." Right? Did you have any pro tips or any ways you survived uh, the kids you had? Some of those late night hanging out sessions, feeding sessions, stuff like that. Sure, I just encourage Cindy to go take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> just a joke. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you just have to share the load. And uh, I guess I thought when I was a new dad uh, that I'd figure it out real easily. It's not easy, uh, uh, but you do learn to yeah. adjust. It was amazing to me that I was actually able to get up at these wild times and still be able to perform at work. Uh, I think the Lord just gives us increasing capacity as we get older. So it hasn't had your capacity tested fully yet. Hey, man, I'll take I'll, if he wants to increase my capacity, I'll take it. Just even to echo the sentiment of. Uh, trying to share the load and, and and doing it with the understanding they're not going to figure it all out at once. We're even most nights, like as we're putting him down to bed and hearing him fuss, we're like sitting there almost in panic mode. Do we go hang out and see what's going on? 
Is, is he okay? Is he just trying to get attention? What do I do? I've already changed his diaper, fed him, and burped him. What? It, it's like a puzzle. But, yeah, so we're, we're feeling that same thing, too. Of, oh, man, this is not as, as easy as we potentially would have thought it would be. Okay, so Harrison is three weeks old right now, but he wasn't supposed to be three weeks old. Give us a short on that one. He was supposed to be born April 4th, which that from right now is still in a week and a half. So kind of a, a crazy moment on March 5th. I just finished meeting with a student around 5 o'clock, and I get a call from Anna saying, not to be too graphic, but saying, I don't know what happened, but I'm at a park. I thought my water broke, but I looked down, and it was just blood. And so I dropped what I was doing and got to the park as soon as I could. <laughs> we were kind of in panic mode, but also kind of in denial, so we went home first to grab things to take to the hospital. Uh, and so we ended up getting to the hospital about 5.50. And in a, in a matter of about 20 minutes, they have us up in a bed and they tell us, hey, all your vital signs look good. Everything might be okay. Um, but then as they had somebody come down to do a sonogram, they found uh, something that to me didn't sound terrible. Uh, they found that a third of Anna's placenta had begun to tear away from her uterus. Um, and the long and short of it is that apparently an abrupting placenta where it's tearing away accounts for like 15% of stillborn babies. And so they said, hey, the reality is you're a month early. If we don't go in and get them out now, this situation could get really ugly really fast. And so uh, from the time Anna called me at 5 o'clock to the time he was born, it was about three hours because at 8.22, he popped out into the world very, very angry and, <laughs> and very red. But very alive, so we'll we'll take that, man. It was a it was a wild week, and I think we're still trying to process the whole reality of that. Yeah, you bet. Well, we're so glad baby and mom are doing well. If you could do anything differently in college, if you could do a do over, what would you do differently? Oh man, that's a great question. I think uh, are you just asking for one thing? Because I can think of about seven. Pick one. <laughs> Right. You know, I would say this because I think this is the common thread that maybe runs through multiple instances. When I came in as a freshman, I began a pattern of saying yes to far more than I could ever do. And I think I did that really just out of fear of of not pleasing people and of disappointing people. And so all of a sudden, by the time I'm a sophomore and junior, I have essentially almost enslaved myself to impressing people and to pleasing people and I can't I couldn't say no to anything and so what inevitably happened my junior year I burned out I burned out hard it was really ugly um, and all of a sudden all these things I committed to well guess what started happening it wasn't that I was dealing with those commitments appropriately and saying coming back and saying hey I can't do this it was just I was shirking them and I was uh, essentially MIA and it, it took me uh, the rest of my senior year and then the next semester, because I, I did a half a victory lap, to start the process of unlearning that and recouping that and learning my identity isn't in what I say yes to, which means I can say no to things and I can focus on what's important. And even at the risk of, of disappointing somebody, say no to things that maybe aren't as valuable for my time. But that, man, that, that's one thing I really regret early on. Yeah, wow, that's a great learning and one 
Uh, many people get figured out, not always as soon as you'd like to, but uh, good that you finally did get it figured out. It really saves you a lot, doesn't it? It does, but man, I'll tell you what, I feel like I'm figuring it out all over again in new contexts, in every context I, I change to, learning, okay, this is what it looks like to say no here. And it, it, it's, it's, it's challenging, man. It's challenging for me. Yeah. You know, you do realize, since you're affiliated with OU, that even at your young age, I can rightly say to you, okay, boomer. <laughs> hey, man, I wasn't born in 1950. Come on. I know you weren't. <laughs> but in your case, it still applies. <laughs> That's so funny, man. We're doing our interview on Friday, March 26th. We've been quarantined here in Oklahoma for about two weeks. I'm curious yeah. what's been one of your greatest frustrations. Oof. Uh, honestly, I would say as an extrovert, not being able to hang out with people face to face. Case in point, earlier this week, I found out a few of our students are still in Norman and I went full puppy dog mode. I was like, sweet. These guys, they're probably not sick. We can hang out. We can play games. Like, this is going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, was promptly confronted by my wife and, and my boss who both said, hey, I, you know, I don't think that's wise. And oh man, I like I was walking around with my tail in between my legs and my ears touching the floor. You know, in terms of like if I looked actually looked like a puppy dog, that's how I'd look. Uh, because I was just so bummed. I was so bummed. Uh, but I'd say that's been the biggest one for me, not being able to be face to face. What about you? Well, I was going to say that uh, in Cindy's case, she's a bit of an extrovert. I'm sorry, she's a bit of an introvert, and uh, this is playing into her hand. <clears throat> holding up and, uh, you know, just have it being told she can't go anywhere for a while. It's like a vacation to her. Yeah. I'm uh, sort of on the line between introversion and extroversion. So I'm adapting. Okay. Uh, I went out though and rode my bike the other day and I thought, man, it sure is good to get out again. Uh, but the guy I was meeting with today on zoom, I said, you know, Andrew, we haven't really uh, done a whole lot of this, but honestly, I just kind of like to hug you right now. <laughs> so, you know, we're being deprived of some things that we, would find normal most of the time and just can't do it. So, yeah, I'm interested to see if, uh, if because of being quarantined, if, um, some of our culture doesn't swing hard towards interpersonal interaction yeah. in, a, in a more yeah. physical way. Yeah. What about one of your greatest joys? Honestly, it's, it's, it's the convenient timing of the, not only the birth of my son, the fact that, that God brought him a, a month early, you know, with some of the hardship that came with that, but also with the joy of, okay, we got to have some of our family in the hospital with us. But also, I, I get to work from home, which means, like this morning, when Anna's exhausted, I can hang out with Harrison and feed him a bottle and chill and snuggle him. Or, you know, later today, after lunch, uh, I can take 15 minutes and pause and just enjoy my wife and talk with her rather than um, feeling like, oh, I, I need to get up early today and, and go hop on campus and be running around all day. So I think that's one of my biggest joys. Is it's almost like an unexpected gift of family time. Yeah. Well, what in God's word gives you the most comfort in such unsettled times? Wednesday, started memorizing uh, Psalm 1611. Um which says, you make known to me, it's David talking to God. That's an important uh, clarification. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, 
there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I think for me, like I mentioned as an extrovert, feeling like I don't get to connect with people the same ways or feeling like a lot of the things I enjoy to do, I can't do. You know, I can't take my wife on a date. I can't I can't go play music with my friends. I, you know what I mean? I can't do a lot of those things that I really enjoy. And so I think it's been a good reminder for me, Samuel, day to day, where do you find your joy? Do you trust that that there is no person or thing that can fill you up more than engaging with God. I love the first part of that verse. It says, you make known to me. Do I trust that God intentionally reveals to me paths of life and gives me not only the opportunity to travel on them, but the ability to travel on them? I know for me, I'm a person who tends to seek distraction when I feel tension in my life. Uh, and so that, that, that's what I would say has been most encouraging. I'm curious, because you're in ministry, you have some perspectives maybe that uh, would be different than uh, a typical believer who's uh, in what we would call secular work. What opportunities do you think Jesus followers have right now because of how unsettled things are? I think most of human existence is made up of relationships built out of survival or necessity. You know, hey, I need this relationship to feel good about myself or I need this relationship to advance in my career or to get connected with this person who might offer me this opportunity, you know, that, that kind of thing. But I think what's so significant is that in Christ, my relationship with you, Steve, isn't built off survival or convenience or necessity. It's built off of giving and receiving love, right? Like that self-sacrificial love that says, hey, I, I want to genuinely care for you and your needs. Um, and not saying that doesn't exist in the secular world, but, but I, I think that exists in the body of Christ in a way that doesn't other places. And so I wonder if this isn't a time for us as believers to really shine as, as people who build loving community that isn't just built off survival, it's built off of man, I genuinely care for you and your interests and I want to help you I want to help you walk in them. I want to help you experience fullness of joy. You know, I want to you know what I mean? So I think yeah. that's maybe a huge way that we as believers have maybe a leg up in, in the current situation. Well Sam, uh, one more big question I guess to um, finish out the serious part of what we're doing in the interview today. What perspectives do you think we believers should have? in the face of tough circumstances. I count these as tough. Yeah. Oh, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I, I think I, I struggle to answer that really well with examples from my life. And the reason why I say that is because in the last year and a half, my wife and I have been through a lot of tough circumstances, um, not just this quarantine stuff, but dealing with battles with cancer or, or dealing with, hey, the baby coming a month early or trying to figure out how do we be a part of something brand new on campus at OU. And because it's brand new, it feels formless and just difficult. Uh, and I think a lot of times as a believer, I've responded with hopelessness instead of what I see people like Paul responding with in scripture or Peter responding with in scripture. And that is what's been convicting me, man, that, that I'm supposed to respond as one who has a living hope. Right. I'm supposed to respond as one who sees beyond 
the, the current circumstance to the joy of a sovereign God who loves us. And so I think for me, what that looks like practically or what I'm battling with for it to look like practically in that is what Paul writes about in Ephesians like four, really, yeah, chapter four, the idea of four and five, the idea that we're supposed to be thankful at all times, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and, and building one another up. I think it's easier for me to call my friends and complain. It's easier for me to say, oh, woe is me. This is a bad circumstance. Um, but I really feel like the Lord's challenging me to practically every day say, okay, who can I connect with and who who can I share with? Not just a way that I'm struggling, but who can I share things that I'm just genuinely in awe of God for providing and, and ways that I'm incredibly thankful to God for being my God. That's maybe a, a perspective that I think God's really showing me that I need to have as a believer. And I would say probably perspective we need to have that we're supposed to be thankful in all circumstances. Um, but yeah. man, that's not, that's not easy. Yeah, it is. It's not easy. And here we are in the middle of something that's really hard. And probably many people are finding it tough to be thankful, to praise. Yeah. Uh, and yet, of course, as we read the scriptures and we see Paul in prison and he's singing for the first time, maybe we can say, oh, I see why it would have been hard in false circumstances to do that. And what a great reference, because talk about a circumstance where it wasn't just quarantine over a virus. It was uh, literal physical persecution at the hands of people who you yeah. would hope would be your friend and not your enemy, right? Like, what the heck? Yeah. Okay, so I'm curious, uh, one, a couple of more questions just as we tidy up our interview here. So how's your stash of TP at the Acres Home? <laughs> Running dangerously low. <laughs> Running dangerously low. We had some friends who uh, packed our house with goodies after they heard about what was going on with us and having our baby a month early. And we've been riding on the stash of toilet paper they gave us. But just today, we put the last, just last night, actually, we put the last few rolls in the bathroom. And uh, I'm beginning to contemplate whether or not I need to make a, well, a Walmart run, I suppose. Well, I guess it's not really a run, more like a Walmart not, not siege. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like I'm having to go scout for toilet paper, you know? Yeah. So, and yet I have wondered what in the world is going on that that is one of the things that people are hoarding. <laughs> yeah. I've got some ideas, but I'd love to hear. Do you have any thoughts on that first? Scene? I don't have any idea. I can't think of where it came from. I mean, I understand. I like toilet paper too, but uh, we can get by without it. Yeah. There are worse things in life. Now I'm not I'm not at all claiming this is accurate. I read an article that that said, oh, it's because you know when you see all the toilet paper you buy, you feel like you've really done something. I think that could be true, but I think it's that that primal fear that we all experience at five years old, where we go to wipe our bottom, we realize there's no toilet paper, and you start screaming into a home where nobody hears you for a long period of time, going, I need toilet paper. You know what I mean? Everybody I think has that primal fear that that's going to happen to them yeah. and they're going to have to use their hand. You know what I mean? And nobody wants to be in that situation. I don't want to be in that situation. So I, I think that's what it is. I, I'm yeah. telling you, man, I think that's what it is. Listen, Sam, it's been really good to interview you today. Thanks for joining me, sharing your time, sharing your thoughts with our Radiate podcast listeners. It's really been fun. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's been a blessing. Thanks for tuning in to Radiate. You can continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect to us online at osunavs.org and on Instagram at osunavs. See you next time, and until then, keep radiating the message of Jesus.